0: Hi, before we begin, I want to warn you that this episode mentions childhood abuse that you may find disturbing. If you want to skip this content or get earbuds before continuing, this would be a good time to do so. This is Early Care for Every Kid, a podcast for people who want to make learning, living, and loving more harmonious for everyone. I'm your host, Danielle Ahn. Each week, I interview fellow parents educators, advocates, and community leaders who care for and work with young children and families. I share their experiences, insights, and specific actionable tips on how you could help make the world work better for everyone. Welcome to our conversation. Today, I have Angelina Torres with me. Angelina is a mother to three boys and an advocate for children with special needs, Angelina's passion for young children's mental, social, emotional, and behavioral health developed from the abuse and neglect she endured the majority of her childhood. Her own experiences and her expertise as a trained early childhood educator allow her to easily earn children's trust and foster their sense of self from a place of safety and comfort. Angelina is currently pursuing a master's in early childhood education at Grand Canyon University, and she plans to open a school with a community-based educational program for all types of families, regardless of their status or circumstance. Here's my conversation with Angelina Torres. I first came across Angelina Angie on our local Facebook group based in Astoria, New York, mom ally. Is that how we say it? Is it mammaly?
1: I called it mammaly for the longest, but it's mammaly. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I first noticed a post on equity versus equality and how we might say, oh, give everybody the same resources so that it's fair. But the idea of fairness is actually providing different things to different people is needed. That's when it first came into my radar, so I'm so glad to be talking with you today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of this tonight.
0: If you wouldn't mind telling me briefly about how you got into early childhood care.
1: I would have to say that passion first commenced when I was a child myself. Without going too much into detail, I did endure a very underprivileged childhood. And in light of that, it is the core of my motivation to want to be an advocate for all children of all ages, regardless of their status. You could be like the richest (laughs) white kid in the neighborhood or you can be like the poorest kid who has limited resources. The framework of my mindset that has evolved for the past 30 years is that all children should be born given the same amount of rights and resources, absolutely regardless of who, where, or what you were born into, and that children should never be raised as if they're a product or a byproduct, if you will, from the environment that they grew in. And I want to change the mindset of the world that just because this child was born born in this situation or that situation it doesn't reflect what their future outcome is it has no bearing of who or what they will become as an individual and that should they deserve the same amount of opportunity for learning and growth as every other person on the planet pretty much and so that developed over the years and also becoming a mother At the not that much of a young age, when I was 20, that pretty much solidified my passion for early childhood education and to be an advocate for all children. It definitely added an additional platform in terms of amplifying speaking for children's rights, especially in education these days. We see a lot of children because of their circumstances, their location, their race, their socioeconomic status, their inability to learn like other children because of a health condition or whatever the nature could be, that they have limitations. And it's something that I do speak passionately even more because I am a mother of three children and one of them does actually have a disability and two other children do receive services from um, the special education department. So that adds a deeper understanding of what it's like to be an educator and a parent to advocate for children's needs. Hmm. That was a long answer. (laughs) Sorry. No, no,
0: no. I really appreciate that because I think the context and personal motivation is probably the strongest motivator having come from being in the thick of it, being a mother of three and seeing so many children as an early childhood care provider and educator yourself. So this gives a rich context. I do want to ask why in the early care arena are you invested in terms of your training and your career and where you're going in the future?
1: Absolutely. Great question. That's where everything starts for Everyone. That's why you see adults thrive in certain areas, whether it's something from a developmental standpoint or their career. It's all because they got that sense of nourishment and catering and fostering to their early childhood needs. Not just education, which is just as important, but you start learning and experiencing from the womb. So, what's to say that's not amplified at an exponential level? from the moment you're brought into the world. And it's from that point on, especially the first few years of life, that really does shape what type of individual that person will turn out to be. And of course, that's not to say that it's only based on that. We're all born with innate things about our personality, genetics and things like that, but there's definitely influential elements when it comes to the environment that you're born and raised in, especially in early childhood settings. When it comes to a child being raised in an environment where basic needs are not meant, especially fresh from infancy and toddler, that has a direct impact on their mental, social, and behavioral well-being. And if it's not addressed, it absolutely snowballs later in adolescence and young adulthood and adult life. It's probably why you see a lot of adults these days struggle with so many things, especially these days with the pandemic and remote everything that's Mm -hmm. going on. And Mm -hmm. I think because of the pandemic and because of remote everything, we're seeing a lot of that surfacing. It's always there. But because we're in isolation, we're finally starting to see the evidence of that.
0: Physiologically as well as psychologically.
1: Oh, absolutely. They absolutely go hand in hand. They are two sides at the same point.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Especially in the earliest years, the science says that from zero to three, the brain develops the most and that's when it's impacted the most. You have much more extensive training (laughs) on that front. So you can speak to that. You mentioned basic care, talking about nutrition, attention, nourishment, Mm -hmm. sleep, warmth? Is there anything that you want to add? Yes. So
1: absolutely. Yes. So predominantly at the moment, my specialty, and I guess you could say my level of expertise does primarily focus and place emphasis on development from birth to two years. And that's actually why I'm currently going to school because I want to expand that up to the kindergarten age to age five. I have research and experience. I guess you could say I don't have the credential in terms of education or but yeah, absolutely, not meeting an infant's basic essential needs has a direct impact on their uh, physiological and psychological development. An infant doesn't know anything of the world, so they're experiencing and they're perceiving all this information, but if their basic needs are not being met, like being fed on time or coddled or sued when they are crying... They're not learning the tools they need to process the information that receive it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. From between infancy and toddlerhood, children are primarily learning based on their senses and they can't process their senses, their sensory information in the brain if their basic needs are not being met. And nutrition absolutely plays a part in it because nutrition feeds into brain development in all areas of development, not just the brain. So if a child's basic needs, nutrition, sleep, sensory stimulation, being called when they are crying, a diaper change, any kind of traumatic thing that happened due to lack of a resource that's supposed to foster the basic needs does have direct impact on brain development. And if brain development is not fostered in the first few years of life, children do not learn how to build relationships. What is that? trusting others. They won't learn how to explore on their own and take risks. And when I say take risks, of course, nothing to put their health and safety in danger. Risks me that they're not willing to take a chance to establish a relationship with their first teacher in kindergarten. It'll lead into separation anxiety, learning how to make friends. These are all social tools and abilities we need to learn as it's a basic human thing, really. And if they don't learn how to do that in those early critical years, it becomes so much more challenging to learn and adapt to your life Mm -hmm. of whoever you're you're planning to become later in life. And it really does affect the overall quality of life later on.
0: So I am obviously in total agreement The podcast is titled Early Care for Every Kid. I think the importance of the earliest years is exactly as you said. It's the basis for all future learnings and relationships and how we relate to each other. So thank you for expanding on that. And I just wonder from your experience of being an actual person who has the direct interactions with different families and so many different types of infants in your training and your career. How being a mother yourself, if anything was surprising to you, were you a mother first before you started working as an early educator?
1: Yes, it was pretty close. When I got pregnant with our first child, I was attending school, which was totally planned. I wanted to be a mommy, by the Mm -hmm. way. I made the conscious, informed decision to take a break from school and be a stay-at-home mom for uh, two or three years. And then when I went Mm -hmm. back to school, being a mom for that amount of time really trickled in to when I first went back to school. And I wouldn't say going back to school and learning about early childhood education and development, it didn't alter my perspective, it enhanced it. And it enabled me to be more open-minded and more open-hearted. After graduating, I did work with a lot of different families And I can say with confidence that if I wasn't a mom first and I didn't have that parental mode triggered, I guess, in my system, I probably wouldn't have been as open-minded and open-hearted when I started my very first job as an assistant teacher. Actually, I was a floater teacher. They bounced me everywhere, all over the classrooms. And I can really say that I think I wouldn't have been as flexible working with the different families. My first job was at a Bright Horizons, a multi-million dollar company. They're all over the world now and very diverse, first of all. So I got to experience working with families who came from across the globe all the way to New York. And these parents were like anywhere from being journalists and doctors and lawyers and researchers and sciences. And it was amazing. At the same time, the connectiveness I had with those families would not have been as enriched if I wasn't a parent myself. Mm. So totally not knocking down educators who are not parents or became educators first and then a parent. It's just a different setting. And it worked out for me. And I'm very proud and honored and privileged for that to have been my first segue into mm. being a mom and an educator.
0: When you talk about that kind of open-mindedness and flexibility, many other parents might relate to this. But when you become a mom you're like, oh, I shouldn't have complained about the crying baby on the airplane. <laughs> or if I'm a mom, I would never do that kind of judgment. Yes. I wouldn't feed that snack, whatever <laughs> it is at that hour. <laughs> so I hear you. And especially if you are exposed to many different types of families coming from different cultures yes. yeah, and industries, I think it would also just give you a glimpse of how different families do things differently and whatever works probably works as long as the basic needs and the love is there for the child and as long as it works for the family. Yes. You are a working mother, I'm curious to know what your familial arrangement was for childcare. I understand that you were a full-time stay-at-home mom with your first child for the first few years before you resumed your studies and went back to work. As a working mother myself, I'm curious to know what your arrangement was during that time.
1: Yeah. So that was the first of many arrangements I've been through, especially since I had a with three kids now. So yeah, I had moved in with my in-laws at the time, and then two years afterward, I I was pregnant, and then I had the baby. And like I said earlier, that was a conscious, informed decision I made for myself. Like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom for a while because I was like, oh my god, I got, I got a baby! I'm just awesome. I wanted to be with baby all day. I thought at the time it was like the coolest thing. I still do. I would say when he turned three, I started to develop a thought process where it was, hmm, I can do more. I can be more. I love being a mom and I'll never let anything take that away from me. In addition to that, I was someone with dreams and goals before I became a mom. A mom was one of them and that will never stop that goal. I did have other things I wanted to do with my life. You hear other people say, I wanted to travel and this and that. I'm not really a traveler myself, but I did have other plans that I'm still pursuing till this very day. And there are little things from like hobbies and passions. I always wanted to learn this or build this or figure out this. I always wanted to learn how does this thing in this world ever get made? How do crayons get made? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we all have that curiosity and, of, to yes. learn and figure out things and think about this. So that thought process started to sink in pretty quick when my first son was three. And that's when I decided I need to go back to school I need, to, I need to do something else. So I started working part-time jobs. I worked at the Gap for a year just so I could say I'm doing something else aside from being a mom. Not to deprioritize motherhood, but to regain a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Because you do lose that when you're a stay-at-home mom for a while. You were born in this world. You were a part of this world. We are not meant to just stay with our babies all day, and that's not to knock down mothers who choose that their entire life. And I absolutely applaud and commend them. But from my experience, I, I felt lacking mm-hmm. and that my purpose is bucket list, because, you know, getting shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. So eventually I did start working. And so I was being a part-time stay-at-home mom, a part-time employee at a local tax office and a part-time student. And I did that for the next five years. And then I eventually graduated. I got my associate's degree Within a month, I, I got my first job at Bright Horizons right away. And then the parameters of that changed. And then I ended up working there as a floater for a couple of weeks. And then I became an assistant teacher. And then within a year, I was promoted to lead teacher. And then I oversaw the toddler classroom. Then I had my ex-baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a new setting. I went on maternity leave for 14 weeks. 12 was not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you nowhere near enough. And then after I came back, I had the honor of bringing my second child with me to work. I was uh, breastfeeding exclusively, and Bright Horizons was very supportive of that. And I got to bring my baby to the infant classroom, which was literally right next door to my toddler classroom I was teaching. And I was able to pump or feed whenever. It was such a great gig, and I did that for a year. And even though the tuition discount as employee I got was 50% off, Bright Horizon tuition, it's a lot of money. It is. And everyone knows teachers do not make a lot of money, <laughs> whatever age group you work with. So I eventually resigned. And then I started my own licensed home care provider. And I did that for two and a half years. So I was still with my baby that I was at home. That was the best gig. I made great money. I worked with a lot of different families in the story area. And I got to choose my hours. I was my own boss. I came up with my own policy and procedures. And I already had experience with early childhood education law and protocol and practices procedures. So I, and it was fresh in my system and I had graduated just four years ago. So I implemented everything into my business there as a sole proprietor. And it was great. I wasn't able to renew my license because I didn't get the rights for my landlord, unfortunately. So then I worked a couple of other jobs at other preschool settings. So the parameters of being a mom and an employee and educator definitely shuffled up quite a few times for the past couple of years until today. Yes.
0: And (laughs) your first child was already five. So in kindergarten at that time when you had your second child?
1: Pre-K, yeah.
0: Okay. So still in school, that just helps tremendously, I feel for us to even get the headspace to be able to continue doing what we are called to do, what we envision for ourselves, in addition to being a fully present mother and caring, nurturing mother. And I think it's never an either or situation. I think each person has many layers to who they are and what they can do and what they can share with not only their friends and families, but also just to the world. So I firmly believe that mothers or fathers, but mothers especially, whenever we do something that is maybe a little bit more uncomfortable, maybe um, that might take some physical time away from our children, I feel as long as we are in alignment with what we see for ourselves and what we believe in. I think that in itself is a good mothering lesson for the next generation, for them to stay true to who they are. Because we each have that individual spark that makes us special. And what a waste it would be if we (laughs) didn't allow our children to do that. So Even thinking generationally, right? Our ancestors or parents, what they might wish for us and what we wish for the future generations. I think I love how you made it work.
1: Still making it work. Still making it work. (laughs) Until your last kid is in college and out of house, it's still, well, even then, I'm sure it's still making it work, just totally in a different uh, platform.
0: (laughs) We are actually recording this like after our kids have gone to bed at night. Yeah. <laughs> so we are making it work. There you go. We are making it work. Yeah. yeah. Is there a lesson that you would want your children to take away from the time that you have with them, whether you are with them physically until they leave their home as independent grown older children, or, you know, even just now?
1: It might sound a little bit cliche, but Be true to yourself and don't let anyone tell you who or what you can or can't or shouldn't be because I really am living proof and I've worked in a lot of different areas and fields, but I have a history of people telling me, you really want to be a teacher or you really want another kid. And if your heart is on fire for what you want to be, what you want to pursue, who you want to be, you go for it. And it's going to be hard, but it really is so worth it at the end because then you can be standing on top of that mountaintop and saying, I did this, I am who I am, and I'm proud of who I am, and I did it on my own. Sure, it has stepping stones and support to get to that mountaintop. Be true to yourself. If this is what you want to do, and if this is who you want to be, and as long as it doesn't harm anyone, anything, then Why the heck not? Mm. Like, why not is one of my biggest things. I'm always speaking to my children. Mm. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know if I should. Why not? Why not? you ever come to my house, you're going to hear me say, why not? Why not? Why not? So yeah, be true to yourself and don't let anyone tell you who you can or shouldn't be. Mm.
0: I know you mentioned briefly that you experienced your own underprivilege or hardships as a young child that motivated you to want to go into education to give an opportunity for every person. But were there stepping stones that appeared in your path along the way, people or opportunities that helped you become who you are right now that are guiding you on your way forward?
1: I will say, I unfortunately, I had to build my own stepping stones, literally had to carve them out with stone with my bare hands. I was not given opportunities at all until I left home when I was 18 years old. It was pretty much an escape. Um, I don't mind going to do a little bit. So I did immensely suffer child abuse in every fashion, majority of my childhood. And it wasn't just the abuse alone, but I was often reminded what I thought was the truth, that I won't amount to anything, I can't do this, you're just stuck here. And I was raised in a family household with people who didn't thrive in life because they were probably limited with their childhood, or they probably suffered the same thing. At that time, I thought it was the truth. Certainly, I know it wasn't the truth now, looking back. I refused to be a product of my environment. So, a little girl of color who was bullied and went through a lot of child abuse, suffering from family and at school as well. I refused to be another generation of history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. And I was born and raised in poorest uh, neighborhoods ever. We were always on food stamps and Medicaid and welfare, the whole shebang. And not to knock down families, individuals that need that those programs have purpose and they absolutely 100% validate the reason or the agenda for those programs. Unfortunately, I came from a family that did abuse the system and I didn't want to be a part of that. I saw that my parents were able-bodied people. I saw that they were fully functional, not in a healthy way, but they could have worked. They could have gone to school and I didn't want to be like that. I was not going to bed praying and wishing I can't wait to grow up being like my mom or dad. I didn't have that. And it breaks my heart knowing that other kids are probably in worse situations than I endured. And that's why when I want to advocate for children. We as a community are supposed to be providing those stepping stones for them. I know what it's like to have to make those stepping stones. Mm-hmm. And it sucked. It was mm-hmm. hard. It was extremely, extremely hard. Learning how to learn to do everything as I got older and older on my own. And that's probably why I'm such a great learner and multitasker today with mom and work and balance in school. It did not happen overnight. It took many years to get where I am. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say that children should not be treated as a byproduct of the environment mm-hmm. they're raised and born in.
0: Also to not give up on them or to just write them off. Um, yes. First of all, I'm very sorry for your young, younger self. I wish that had never happened to you.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. And
0: I have huge admiration for you finding that self-worth to be able to go beyond what you were able to see. So thank you. If there are people who are currently parents or are thinking of becoming parents and want to fully maybe stop any generational trauma so that it doesn't have to repeat in the next generation, What would you say to people who might feel like, this was my life, this was my experience, and I don't want to repeat that for my children or my grandchildren's generation without having the bitterness or resentment, the way that you are really positive and you can use that as a motivation to go beyond that. Is there any advice that you might give to people who might also be fearful of what kind of parents they might become?
1: I think that's a really great question. I wouldn't say advice. If I was speaking to either a new parent expecting or, or planning to be parents, and if they were to bring that to my attention, I would say to them, that's so wonderful that you're already being, having this proactive thought process and you didn't even make a kid yet. That's such a great step. I would applaud them that you're already being a parent. You're already looking after your kid and you're not even pregnant yet. Like that's so monumental. That's huge. And to have that mentality is, that's a big stepping stone for becoming a parent. Now I'll, in that conversation, I'll still probably tell them, you're gonna screw up a lot (laughs) anyway, (laughs) but you'll be okay because you already had that mentality. And being a parent, the more you learn and then you face a problem, eventually you'll tackle it. The parents who have that fear, I even like to shed light on that fear, that sense of worry and hesitation. I would ask them, where is that fear coming from? That fear can be good. Just to share a little bit, I do have a fear of, as a parent myself, of when it comes to disciplining my mm-hmm. kids, that is one thing raising my voice or spank i I don't um, believe in spanking i think like once a little what did they say a pow pow the tishy like playful other than that i don't (laughs) when i had the thought process becoming a a mom i did have that fear of that or like i don't want to do this and i say to this day i'm not going to hit my kids because they're going to resent me I'm not going to raise my voice at them because they're just going to fear me. I'm not going to say, because I told you so, because it'll never open rooms opportunity for discussion. It'll when My kids get in trouble. They're not going to come up to me. They're not going to trust me. They're like, mom, I screwed up. I did something. And they're not going to have the fear of getting yelled or reprimanded as opposed to your kid reaching out to you for help. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what we should want. So that fear that probably was Pre developed from, like you said, a g- it's a generational thing. We can use that and repurpose that fear to something good. We could change it to something good so that way it evolves into something that's not fear based, but a proactive kind of parenting.
0: I'm hearing to have the awareness to make the choice and make the decision and commitment not to do certain things or to do certain things more intentionally. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Danielle, on on this episode of Early Care for Every Kid. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, you can hit the follow button so you're notified right when the next episode drops. For our show notes, you can visit earlycareforeverykid.org or connect with me on Instagram at early care for every Thanks for listening. Till next time, take care.